When I came to Elk Point, and since coming to Elk Point, I've kind of had an interest sparked in my heart for pursuing some of my ancestry. The fact that I had no idea about my kind of ancestral connection to, lake, to the Lakeland through my grandfather came as a shock to my system. And since then, I've been able to go back and through reading and speaking with family, I've been able to kind of put together some of my family history, some of it dating back to my fifth great-grandfather in Derbyshire, England in the 1700s. I've slowly been building a family tree. But to build a, an accurate family tree becomes really difficult when you start to factor in the blending of families. I have a biological father. I have a stepfather. My mother was adopted in infancy. My great-grandfather married, had two kids. His wife passed away at 18. He then married his wife's sister who had come to help with the children and I came from that second marriage down the line. And when you're starting to try and build a family tree and to understand kind of where you come from, it, it gets pretty dizzying after a while. And you can chase rabbit holes all day long. And I'm not surprised to know that for some people that is their, their sole hobby. And you could do it for a lifetime and not chase down all of your, all of your family. And... It doesn't come as a surprise to me, and it probably doesn't to you either, that the only thing that's allowed me to get back seven generations on my dad's side of the family, which I definitely haven't been able to do on my mom's side of the family, chasing down threads and finding new relatives, is following my family name, following the, the Bateman family tree all the way back. Chasing down the mother's side is obviously more difficult due to all the time changing surnames. To tie that into what we're going to talk about this, this morning, a few weeks ago we looked at the end of Ephesians chapter 2 where Paul announces this incredible news. Starting in verse 19, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, you are a part of God's family, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. These Gentile believers in Ephesus have officially been grafted in. They've been adopted into an entirely new family. And I think for many of them, it would have now been pretty well their only family, having been rejected from some of their families for their departure from their traditional beliefs. And they do not join just as secondary citizens. Paul goes to great lengths to let them know that they have been adopted as equals for both Jew and Gentile, are reconciled to God in one body through the cross. They now have a totally new lineage. 
a lineage of faith instead of blood. That brings us to our passage this morning from Ephesians chapter 3. And we will be starting in verse 14. And you'll remember that when we started in chapter 3, he had kind of his intro in verse 1 that he then goes on this big aside. But let's read Ephesians chapter 3. I'll read verse 1 and then skip down to verse 14. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we... Thank you for your word, that you have given us the opportunity to spend time in your word, coming to know your word. We thank you that through your word, you've revealed this incredible news to us, that in Christ, we might be given a new heritage, that in Christ, we now become part of the family named for the Father. And Lord, we pray that as we worship together this morning, as we live our lives outside of these walls, that we would acknowledge that we are part of an incredibly rich heritage, that we have been given, we have been adopted into this family that is beyond our ability to to comprehend. And may that inspire in us to to live according to the family that we have been called. Lord, we ask your blessing on our time here in the Word. We do continue to pray for the members of our church, our body, that are hurting. As a family, we continue to be aware that we are one body and that members of our body have been wounded. And we ask that we would continue to do all we can to aid in the healing process, and that we might, as one body, grow in faith, that as one body we might glorify you, and that your family would give you the honor that you are due, for we are named after you. May we find our roots in the love that you have shown us in Christ. May we find that firm foundation no matter what our situation, no matter what goes on in the world around us. We thank you for the 
good news and the successful surgery for Carol and that all of that seems to have gone well. We pray she would continue to heal quickly. We pray the same for uh, Roger Urquhart as he heals from his hip replacement. We thank you that that seems to have gone well. And we pray for those among us who are still waiting for various joint replacements and surgeries and medical diagnoses and all of that kind of thing. We just ask that you would empower all of the physicians and medical professionals who are working with these ones, that they might exercise the gifts that you've given them with your power, that you might guide and direct their, their scans, their scalpels, whatever it might be, Lord, that they might worship you even in their work. And Lord, we pray with Paul that we might know what it means to be filled with all the fullness of God. We commit this to you and we thank you for our time to worship. We pray that you would be with each one of us even as we think of plans for our sister Alma's service tomorrow and that we might continue to acknowledge the incredible heritage you've given so many of these, these saints in the church. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul has this whole discussion on family. And he says that we have been adopted into, if we are in Christ, we have been adopted into this family of God. And then as he opens his prayer, and that's what our passage is today, it's a prayer to God for these Ephesians. As he opens it, before he says why he's praying, before he says what he prays, Paul reminds these Ephesians in this prayer of whom it is that he is praying to. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Remember, Paul had just finished reminding them that they were all one family in Christ Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike. And he'd even told them this is not his idea. It wasn't Paul trying to cobble these two peoples together into one. This was all God's doing and all God's plan. Now they are one family. And these Ephesians need to know that they now have a new patriarch, a new father, a new head of their family. They are now unified in this family under Christ. For these people in this time, one's lineage was of incredible importance. The family you were a part of could define your station, your prospects, your profession, and so much more. And this new family into which these Ephesians had been brought, they were now named under the Father. And under that Father, just like me getting to trace my lineage back through my Father, they are now named. They are now under that family, and they had an entire new identity. It's something that I've always kind of scratched my head at, the, the incredible change it is for a woman when she gets married to take on an entire new family name. It is much bigger of a switch than I think sometimes we give it credit for. And for me to be able to trace my name back through my father has been 
a, a huge blessing and something that I've been very encouraged by. But this father under whom these Gentiles have been now named, this father is the one to whom Paul bows his knees. And for us, when we talk about bowing our knees before the father, that just kind of comes part and parcel. I don't know how many of us still kind of pray on our knees at our bedside like we did when we were children. Maybe not quite as many of us as once did. But kneeling before the Father is just kind of, that's part of the image in our mind. That's how prayer works. But to kneel didn't have the exact same correlation to prayer back then as it does now. Many Jews prayed standing. When critiquing the Pharisees and teaching his people how to pray, Jesus said in Matthew 6, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. So they might stand, they might bow their heads, but kneeling in prayer was not quite as common as it is now. So when Paul says that he kneels before the Father, he's saying something here. Why is he bowing his knees before the Father? And why announce it this way? This kneeling is an act of acknowledging the authority of the one before whom he is kneeling. To kneel before someone was to recognize their station and their authority. You would kneel before a king or a conqueror. And Paul kneels, prostrating himself before the Father, his King, and the one under whom and by whom these Ephesians are now named. The implication is that Paul would have this audience acknowledge, this is the one by whom you have been adopted. This is the one under whom you are now named. The one to whom I would bow down to the ground before. For him to kneel down before the Father here is saying to these Ephesians, this is the one that you are now part of his family. And before the Father, he bears his brothers and sisters in the church in Ephesus. He prays for them. And what is it that he would petition on their behalf? Well, it's a good Baptist prayer. Threefold request, each part building off the last. He would pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being, so that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith. He would pray that they be rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And he would pray that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. We're going to look at each of those kind of three sections. First, that according to the riches of God's glory, he would strengthen them with power through his Spirit that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Remember verse 22 from chapter 2 as we think about this. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And we even talked about, when we looked at that passage, we talked about John 4, where Jesus talks to the woman at the well, 
And he says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So Paul is praying for these saints. Praying that according to the riches of God's glory, they may be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. But what are these people called at the beginning of this letter? They're already called saints. Are they not already indwelled by the Holy Spirit of Christ? Are they not already being built into a temple of God, a dwelling place of God with man? Why would Paul ask that they be strengthened through his Spirit in their inner being that Christ might dwell in their hearts through faith? I think it's because unlike what has sometimes been touted from pulpits to revival meetings to summer children's camps, that there is so much more to the Christian life than just praying the prayer. True to be granted the gift of faith to come to know God as your Lord and Savior, that is an incredible miracle on its own. But to make that an end in itself is to miss the point. The author of Hebrews chastises his audience for this very thing. He's talking to them, he says, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Salvation is just the very beginning of the Christian walk. It is birth. The newly saved are like newborns in need of the most basic of sustenance, in need of this babying. But the goal is not to stay here. And sometimes that's what we make it. It's like, okay, well, I'll get get my coworker, I'll get my friend, I'll get my family member, I'll get them to pray the prayer, they pray the prayer, they confess faith, they're good, and we'll move on to the next project. But that is not the goal of the Christian life, just to get to the point of praying the prayer. You pray the prayer, you confess Christ, and then you grow, you mature. These listeners are to move on to spiritual maturity, something that, Lord willing, Christian maturity is going to be a huge part of what we talk about in Ephesians chapter 4. So I'm going to try not to, to steal too much from that. But Paul says that according to the riches of his glory, he asks that God would grant them to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in their inner being so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That is asking that they would grow in faith that the power of the Holy Spirit would continue to mature them and grow them in the faith. He doesn't want them to just be saved. For, obviously, he's called them saints. He believes them to be saved already. He would have them experience so much more of the wide world of salvation in Christ than just the elementary things just the spiritual milk. And the spiritual milk is incredible, don't get me wrong. But there's so much more there. He would have them individually 
know the power of the Spirit that would build them up in faith. And recognize, I use the word individually there intentionally. I take that from the phrase at the end of verse 16, in your inner being. This is not a referral to the whole church in Ephesus or the church in the surrounding area. In their inner being, they are to know God. Not to put too fine of a point on this, but this kind of deep, powerful, meaningful knowledge of God is not just for the super-Christians. It is not just for the pastors and the theologians. It's not for the elders and the deacons and the ministry leaders. Paul prays that each of these Ephesian believers would be strengthened that they might grow in their faith in Christ. For us to know Christ is every single one of us, we're all included in that. And that spiritual strengthening is not something that we can manufacture on our own. Whether it's through our own devotion, our own piety, or service, or scholarship. I have met theological scholars who knew their intellectual knowledge of God was so vast that you could barely comprehend it. And yet their personal knowledge of God was so stunted that God had just become a field of study rather than this living, self-existent, awe-inspiring being to be loved and worshipped. On the other hand, I've met men and women who came to faith in just this emotional upswell, and maybe it was in an altar call somewhere, and they have known almost nothing of who God really is. They, they heard that gospel message, grabbed onto it, ran with it, but they don't know anything about who God has revealed himself to be in Scripture. And they ran with that malnourished view to their own ruin, led astray into all manner of false teaching because they couldn't be bothered to study and know the truth that we can find in the Word that is clearly revealed here. Instead, they relied on feeling and impression and say, well, I feel like God. Yeah, but what does the Bible have to say? Study it. For us to know God and to rightly grow in our knowledge of Him, we need to have a solid foundation. What is it that we believe? And a steady trajectory. Where are we going? And neither of those things can be found in this world, and neither of those things can we create ourselves. And thankfully, God has given us both. The second part of the request that Paul makes of God and these first two requirements, is that they, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. The language there is of firmness and stability. The word root and its variations shows up over 60 times throughout Scripture. To be rooted in something is to find your foundation there, your nourishment there. And for those of us who know anything about plants, I don't know anything about plants, but I've been told that those of you who know something about plants, what the roots take in is pretty important to how the plant grows. From the roots come the fruit of the plant. 
to be rooted in good soil and fed with good nourishment results in good fruit and good growth. Roots in bad soil results in bad fruit and ultimately death. That's been Sherry and I's life experience the last little bit. Sherry has 150 tomato plants, and they've taken over my office. They've taken over every kind of square space that has sunlight in the windows in these little cups. And unfortunately, from what we can gather, either we got some bad dirt because it was quite moist and molded right away that we lost a good chunk of those tomato plants right away as soon as she transplanted them into that new dirt. That foundation that they had was not there, and we lost probably close to a third of her tomato plants just right off the hop. That root, that foundation they had is not there, and it has resulted, unfortunately, in the death of these poor plants. For us and for the Ephesians, together with all of the saints, love was and is and always will be foundational. And remember the context here. We have these newly adopted Gentiles being adopted into the family of faith and an existing family of faith. I don't envy what my stepdad had to go through. When my mom married my stepdad, he came into an entirely new family with an entire set of rules and family culture, and he had to basically come in and prove himself to my mom, my sister, myself, and all of the extended family that he could do the job. I don't envy that. And he was joining an existing family, and these, these Ephesians were joining an existing family. Love for one another and love for this new God that they have been adopted by was of paramount importance if they were to be growing, growing and being strengthened in the faith. These last month or two has really made us aware that of the importance of the Christ-like love of the church. We have needed it. Each one of us have needed it in our own ways. And that's meant to be the hallmark of the Christian community that our, our world should be able to see. And that love is just a sliver. It is just a display of a much greater love that has been shown us. We heard from Romans 8, Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God shown us in Christ is the very foundation into which our roots are meant to grow. It is the bedrock upon which our faith is built. If we remain rooted and grounded in that love, we cannot help but grow 
in our knowledge and our faith in the Lord. And we cannot be separated from it. The efficacy and the grandeur of God's love cannot be diminished. The love of God, like the rest of his attributes, is immutable. It is unchanging and unable to be changed. God's love is a part of who he is. And what greater substrate can we sink our roots into? On what better ground can we build our foundation? So that is our ground. That is our foundation. What about the trajectory? We're supposed to grow, build down and then grow forward. Paul prays that God's people might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that. I'm going to read it one more time. Listen carefully. Know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. He is praying that they would know something that by its very nature surpasses knowledge. We could learn of the love of Christ every day for the rest of eternity and not even begin to scratch the surface of it. 1 John 4 is one of the greatest passages in Scripture when it comes to understanding and knowing the love of Christ. John said, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he can, has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Reading that passage from John, you could, you could spend forever right there. But maybe we get an inkling of what Paul means when he asks what the, that the saints would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. To fully know the love of Christ is to know Christ. 
and to know Christ is to know God. The trajectory which we have been given as God's people, what we should be looking for and aiming for and shooting for is to know the love of Christ. And if that seems just far too lofty for little old us, if it seems that there is no way that the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named according to the riches of His glory would grant us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we being rooted and grounded in love would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. If that seems like it's beyond the pale of what we could expect to do, then you're right. It is utterly beyond us. And yet Paul closes his prayer with this benediction. And sometimes we might cut this off and think of it as a whole nother thought. But I think it's important to what we're hearing here. Know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Know something that you by definition cannot know. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God has provided us with a firm foundation by first loving us. He has given his saints the gift of faith. He has chosen them from before the foundation of the world. He has revealed himself to us in his word. He has given us his own Holy Spirit to strengthen and empower us. God can and does reveal himself to his people. He's given this foundation and this trajectory for us of knowing him more fully for all eternity. So we, as his people, must, like Paul, bow down, go to our knees before this most high God, this Father by whom we are named if we are in Christ, by whom the entire history of the faith has been named. We must bow down before him and ask that he would indeed do something that we couldn't even imagine ask that he would reveal to us something that we can't even hope to know and fully understand. When we bow down before God, sometimes we're tempted to just come and ask for fulfillment to our own fleshly desires. God, please let me get this parking space. God, please let me get a raise. God, please let me, I mean, and We've had discussion downstairs about what can we pray for. Is there anything too small and minuscule to pray to God about? The answer is no. But sometimes we get stuck at that base level where we just ask God for the, temp the temporary finite fixes to everyday life issues. But how often have we got down on our knees and asked that God would do something beyond anything we could ask or imagine? 
to ask that we might truly know him, that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That is a big and bold prayer. That is, but Paul prays that for the church in Ephesus, and I would pray that for you, and you should pray that for yourself and for your brothers and sisters. We've talked about how much we need the comfort and the strength that comes from the Lord, how much our brothers and sisters need the comfort and strength that comes from the Lord. Go to your knees and ask that they might know the love of God that passes all understanding, that they would truly know him. For if we do know him, then we can fulfill our purpose as people. To know God and to glorify him forever. It would be my prayer for each one of us that we could even just begin to start picking away at the eternity that we have to know the love of Christ that we would get even just a taste of what that looks like. And that day by day by day, we might find ourselves deeper rooted into that love, finding that firm foundation. And that day by day by day, we might also find ourselves growing towards and having that trajectory of growing in the knowledge of God. Because one day, we will have the opportunity to ask God, all of our questions. But for now, we have been given God's revealed word. That's all of what Paul was talking about in the earlier part of chapter 3. This is God's idea. God came up with this whole plan, and now God is giving us what we need to participate in this plan. So come to the word. Come to God and know the love of Christ. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning knowing that we are in need of your love. And we would ask with Paul that incredibly bold prayer that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled with all of your fullness, that we may be rooted and grounded in love, that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints the height and depth and breadth and length of your love. And Lord, may you do this in us not only for our own good, but for your glory, that we might be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings. We ask this of you, God, because we know you are capable of doing so much more than we, what we could ask or what we could think. That you are the God and the Father by whom every family on earth is named. We are all under you. You are our, our Father. And we ask that you would teach us what it means to know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And that we might pray these kind of prayers for one another. 
We thank you for our time to worship you today. Continue to be at work in our hearts as we go. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.